Hello and welcome to episode 388 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, you can share news and ask questions on our website. That's thinkinglsat.com. This is going to air on Monday, February 6th. Uh, the January test scores just came out. Uh, check out our Demon Daily episode 422 for our thoughts on what to do if you aren't happy with your score. Other than that, you can find all these dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. Let's jump in. What's this first thing? First thing is uh, a news item we're excited about. Um, one of our team members, Chris, is going to be traveling to the Thurgood Marshall School of Law on Saturday, February 25th. And what we're doing is we're using Demon Free to give a proctored test followed by a 60 minute strategy session. And we'll also talk about how to go to law school for free because we always talk about how to go to law school for free. Um, that's gonna be at a special event happening at Thurgood Marshall School of Law. We're partnering with the Council on Educational, sorry, the Council on Legal Educational Opportunities, CLEO. It's a national uh, nonprofit organization founded in 1968 to expand opportunities for underrepresented schools, uh, upper, underrepresented students to attend law school. Anyway, there's going to be a uh, Juniors Jumpstart the LSAT program happening at the uh, Thurgood Marshall School of Law. So we're excited about that. And thankful to team, Demon team member Chris for going and uh, leading that session. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. I'd uh, be curious to hear that go how, hear how that goes. We have this first email here from Sierra. I'll go ahead and read it. The subject is beginner LSAT studying. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm currently in my undergrad getting a Bachelor of Social Work. There is a joint MSWJD at my university that I'm interested in applying to in Canada. I bought another LSAT prep book and I feel like I should return it and just start drilling with the demon. Do you have any advice for undergrads that are starting to study? Where do I even begin? The fear of failure haunts me. Semicolon. However, I think I'd be happier with failure than not trying. Longtime listener of the pod and huge fan of you both. Take care, Sierra. I guess I could start with the books thing since I'm the author of six LSAT prep books. Um, they're all available on Amazon. But when people ask me about my books these days, I always just say, well, instead of the books, you really should get the demon. And even if, you know, you bought my book and now you're like, well, how do I start? I still would tell you to probably put the book aside and use the demon instead. People people find out about me because of the demon, or sorry, people find out about us and the demon because of my books, but it's 2022. Wait, it's 2023, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like even last year, the best way to study for the LSAT was not via books. It was with the LSAT demon. I mean, the test has moved online. All the prep has moved online. It's vastly easier. It's easier to update. Yeah, the demon is fresher and just better in every way than any LSAT books, including my own. So yeah, if you it's not too late to return whatever book you bought, I think you should. Yeah, I was just thinking yesterday I did a class on logical reasoning and uh, a bunch of the questions were from test 29, which I haven't seen in a long time. 
but I used to teach from test 29 a lot because it was the first test in one of the book books of 10 that LSAC put out. Right. But, um, as I was uh, going through those questions, uh, after class, I went through our explanations and I edited a few of the wrong answer explanations. They weren't bad, but I thought there were stronger reasons to get rid of those yeah. answers and faster reasons. And even when the answer choices were hitting at those reasons, they weren't necessarily doing it as clearly or quickly as they could have. And I yeah. just think about all that work that we keep doing every day, yeah. just going in and making these things better. And when people don't understand, even then they can hit the ask button. You can't do that with a book. Yeah. I mean, the books, they print on my books, print on demand. So I can make edits to the books. If, if something comes to my attention that there's something wrong, then I will fix those, those books. But it's not like the demon where we have me and you and Abigail and all of our teachers and all of our students constantly looking at those explanations and using the ask button and asking us questions about those explanations. And then the explanations get better and better and better. I have a lot of comments on this. You know, I've thought about it a lot because I've done so much writing of LSAT explanations, but mm. the, there can be seven reasons why a wrong answer is wrong. And sometimes in our first run through and, you know, the first time we try to explain the question even, right. The first time we sit down and write an explanation, we might be writing a perfectly valid reason why one of these answers is wrong. Meanwhile, there could be a better, clearer, just blindingly obvious once you see it, reason why that answer is wrong. And it might not have made it into the first draft of an explanation because there's so many reasons why these wrong answers can be wrong. Yeah. So it's just real hard to keep print explanations updated. And the other thing I wanted to say, I had an experience the other night. We ran across uh, the brick wall review question in one of my classes. Brick remember wall the brick review. wall review oh, question? Oh yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's an anthology or something like that. Yep. Yeah. It's about yep. a poetry journal publishing an anthology. And I'm sorry if I'm triggering people out there who have struggled with this question in the past. I myself struggled with this question for like 15 yeah. years until I did it in class the other day and it made perfect sense to me, yeah. you know, 15 years later. Now that's not to say that I can't get it right for 14 years of not understanding it, I can still get it right because yeah. I'm going to refuse to pick any of the wrong answers and I'm going to kind of reason my way around to it backward to get there. Yeah. But this time, you know, and it had to be the 15th time I've taught the question, but finally on time number 15, I see like, oh shit, I've been getting there through the back door all this time. Yeah. But it turns out there's actually this front door reason why this answer is right. Yeah. And I think I made a new video for it. So hopefully that'll live on uh, in the demon now <laughs> and yeah. we'll have like the finally the clear explanation where I feel good about it. Yeah, that's funny. The same thing happened to me with the uh, nuclear power plants question. Nuclear? Nuclear? Yeah. Nuclear? How do you say it, Nathan? Nu Seems nuclear like with an L before the U or sorry, before the second. Um, what did I say? Nuclear. 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 Yeah. Nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry for being a dick. <laughs> well, that would be out of character for you to be otherwise. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, the point is, is I, I've done the same thing with that answer choice. I've, I've, I've like definitively 
ruled out the four wrong answers. I'm like, I don't love this answer, but it's the only one that can kind of make sense here. And then yesterday I was like, wait a sec, I, I'm looking at this the wrong way. And then when you look at it in another light, you're like, wait, this, this actually not only is not bad, it's very good. And here's why. And it makes sense. It makes a hundred percent sense. It's always so satisfying when that happens. It's a bummer that it happens, you know, 15 years into our LSAT career, but yeah. at least it's, uh, you know, one more point in favor of, oh, wait a second, this test absolutely makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It just sometimes takes you some time to see what they really meant by it. And then once you feel that click, you know, then you're, you're going to feel that click much more often in the future. Let's answer this other question from Sierra, though, before we move on. Advice for undergrads that are starting to study, where does Sierra even begin? Start with drilling. Just one question. You don't need to overthink this. In fact, these days, the demon decides which type of question to give you. <laughs> yeah, so that's drilling with a capital D. Um, we, we talk about drilling. What we mean is go to lsatdemon.com. You can use a free account if you want to try out this free, this feature. It's amazing. Just leave everything on demon's choice and say, drill, just go, just do it. Hit the button, drill, and Mm -hmm. start working on real LSAT questions one at a time. There's no need to read theory. You do not need a background in this. You do not need an introduction. I wrote a primer. One of my books is called Introducing the LSAT. It's this thin little book that you can buy on Amazon for like five bucks, but (laughs) The point even of that book is, hey, get started on some real LSAT questions. Doesn't matter which one you start with, the demon will pick for you. Hit drill, do a question, you know, try to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, we've got the best written explanations, the best video explanations, and an ask button right there where our team of tutors can help you understand. Uh, But the step one is just try it. So Sierra, it's really great that you're not letting the fear of failure hold you back. You got to just step up to the plate and, you know, yeah, whatever. You're going to strike out a couple of times. Who cares? That's step one to learning how to do it is to fail. Absolutely. I mean, an analogy that you used to give all the time, which I thought was near perfect, was how do you learn how to ride a bike? Do yeah. you read a bunch of books on it or do you get on a bike, go find a bike, get on it and start feeling what it's like to try to pedal? You're probably going to pedal for one or two times and then tip over. Yeah. Tip over, start stumbling around, but that is the fastest way to get there. And that's exactly what you're doing with drilling. Just expose yourself to a question and answer it. It's not, it's even less scary than a bike. There's no physical harm. Yeah. You're not, you have (laughs) no chance of hurting yourself and you have unlimited chances to practice. You know, you're not even going to skin a knee. by just doing a question. And if your ego is bruised that easily, then I don't know, maybe this is not the right field for you anyway, right? Because you're going to take some lumps along the way if you're going to go to law school and actually practice law. So you just got to kind of, yeah, get on the bike and uh, get riding and see if it works. You'll tip over a few times, but eventually you'll figure it out. Cool. All right. I guess the next two emails are related to GPA. You want to take the first one? Yeah. Evan says, Hey guys, I first started attending university in 2004 before dropping out two years later with a 2.0 GPA. Ah, this is what I should have done. You know, when I was a dumbass, like 20, 
20-year-old, 19-year-old college freshman, and I was just getting terrible grades, and I wasn't doing anything. You know, I I, I stuck it out and graduated with a yeah. 2.5 GPA. Yeah. It would have been way better for me to not go at all <laughs> until I was more mature. There's a million ways I could have done it better, but doing what Evan did would have been actually better. I think it would have been worse for my parents at the time if I would have dropped out after two years of college. Yeah. But then Evan says, I re-enrolled last year and I have a 4.0 for this leg of the journey going into graduation with full honors. How will this be assessed by the LSAC? Oh, Evan says, P.S. I'm working on my LSAT wrecking ball daily. <laughs> Good. Well, unfortunately, they're just going to take your GPA and average your GPA. I mean, that's what you're it's a grade point average, which is going to include that 2.0. Um, that's going to be the big number that they look at. Fortunately, uh, a 4.0 goes a long way to balancing out a 2.0. If you did two years of 4.0 and two years of 2.0, you're going to end up at a 3.0. Evan might be a candidate for slowing down his next leg of uh, his undergrad education. Sure. Yeah. Can you go longer and get more grades in the book so that your <laughs> yeah, average I mean, as, goes up? As long as you don't graduate, Evan, all the grades are going to continue to count for your LSAC GPA. So, yeah, you could decide, you know, to stretch it out. You don't have to add a minor or a major or whatever, but you could just take a bunch of extra classes, you know, classes that'll interest you. Maybe they don't count toward graduation, but they're going to do some work for balance, trying to balance that heavy anchor of the 2.0 that you have. You could eventually get to a three point boy. I guess if you added an entire extra year, you could end up with five parts of a 4.0. Yeah. And two parts of a 2.0. Wait, that didn't, I didn't add up that. Didn't add it up right. Well, whatever. You can get somewhere north of a 3.0. You can figure out the math. If it's worth it to you, maybe it's worth it. If not, the LSAT really is your wrecking ball, Evan, and I'm glad you've uh, recognized that. Oh, we're supposed to be doing both of these at once, huh? You want to read Landry's email? Yeah, I would say one thing about Evan's uh, situation. Obviously, the 4.0 is a huge difference from the 2.0. So schools have to look at your overall GPA to assess you in the big pool. But... The good news is when they are looking at you individually, they're going to see you as a diamond in the rough. They're going to say, okay, this person is actually more valuable than their numbers suggest. Yeah, you should write a, it's a, a soft one factor. sentence. Yeah. You should write a one sentence addendum to point to this like shocking, dramatic difference in your transcripts. I mean, it's going to be once they look at it, but see, they won't see it. They're going to see your blended GPA. And then if you tell them specifically, hey, I had a 2.0 in, or, you know, maybe you don't say that, but instead you just say, I've had a 4.0 in the last two years of my college education. Yep. You know, cause the, then they do have that diamond in the rough opportunity where they can feel like they're going to get a bargain on you because they look at your LSAT and they go, Oh shit, this guy mastered the wrecking ball. Mm -hmm. You know, to the tune of a 170 or whatever, like, yeah, we got to listen to this guy. He just bashed down the front door, you know, with the wrecking yeah. ball. And then yeah. they look at your GPA and they go, Ugh, 3.0. What's that? Yeah. But then because your LSAT wrecking ball is like sitting there on their desk, then 
<laughs> I'm envisioning it just bashing through the wall and <laughs> landing on the desk of the admissions office, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going to they're going to take a little closer look. And if you have a note in there, again, just one or two sentences pointing out, hey, you know, I'm a different student now when I came back to school. Yeah. Um, show them the 4.0. And then they might have a little. Oh, yeah. Wow. OK, so look, the LSAT's there. And this is a much better student than they look on paper and they can start getting greedy, you know, thinking that they're going to pull a fast one on other law schools that haven't noticed. The next email from Landry says, I attend a university with a GPA scale of minuses and pluses. For example, if you receive a 90 in a course, it would be an A minus or 3.7. If you receive over a 93, it would be an A or 4.0. The grading scale also includes includes B plus, which counts as a 3.3. That being said, do law schools weigh this differently when applying? No, the real issue is, do you have A pluses? And it doesn't sound like you do. Yeah. But this is pretty normal to have these A minuses and B right. pluses. I've had two semesters where I've had all A's. However, multiple of those A's, multiple, many of those A's have been A minuses. I also attended a community college prior <laughs> that had a normal grading scale. Nor what? Okay. Normal. Actually, I think I think what you have right now is normal. My GPA from my community college was a 3.64 with 107 hours and a quote normal close quote grading scale. I don't know what you mean by that because everything <laughs> you've described in the first half of your email Landry is Sounds what most schools that's how my undergrad operated. Yeah, it was a minuses got a 3.7. Yeah. A's, everything above 93 was an A. And then there were B pluses, and that B plus counts as a 3.3. That's real common. Yeah. And that's how law school works too. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. So my GPA currently at my university is a 3.7 with only 39 hours and 15 hours left to take. I know a few points off your GPA could result in losing thousands of dollars of scholarships. Regardless, the most vital aspect of applying to law school is having the best LSAT score possible, which I'm working on achieving. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to hearing from you. I, okay. I missed the question. I need to go back. That no, being it's, said, it's how law schools weigh things differently when applying. Okay. Yeah. No. Which they don't. I mean, they like the LSAC is going to calculate your, your GPA and that's kind of the deepest that schools are going to look into it. This there's no reason for Landry to write an ag an addenda, right? Like the the fact that your undergrad handled grades different, or you think that they were handled differently, no need to bring that up to the schools. Um, LSAC's going to calculate a GPA. I've got a couple tips for you. Stop getting A minuses. Like A minuses don't count. I know you can show your parents a. Gr <laughs> this is funny because my niece, you know, is like talking about the A's that she's got. <laughs> and her mom and dad are proud and I'm proud too, but there's a difference between A's and A minuses. And you just, you don't get to just look at your report card and say, Oh, look, it's all A's. Well, no, it's not. It's a lot of A minuses and A minuses only get a 3.7 and a 3.7 is vastly different from a 4.0. When we start looking at the top, top law schools, uh, you know, where their median GPA is 3.95, like that ain't A minuses. <laughs> That's the kid in the class who gets straight A's, not A minuses. So Landry, 
to the extent that you still have grades outstanding, you got to stop settling for the A minuses and try to get more A's. If you can't do that and LSAT at the same time, then you should put off your LSAT prep. You know, even though that costs us money, I would prefer that you unsubscribe from the LSAT demon for a while and just get straight A's. Come back and work on the wrecking ball later. Okay. Um, also, Eric included this article to the uh, on US News. It's titled, What is a good college GPA for a law school applicant? And this chart that he ref- points us to gives us the average median GPA for the 2021 incoming law students. And I don't know, on some level, this isn't surprising, but maybe it's worth mentioning that the range of GPAs for the lowest schools to the highest schools is, maybe maybe it seems significant for people who follow their GPA closely, but it's a, it's a narrow window, right? And it just goes to show why there's a difference between an A and an A minus. Yep. I mean, they're not the same thing. In fact, the A minus falls right between, right? Like we're looking, I'm looking at the bar chart here. It says that for the top 20 schools, the average median GPA was 3.86. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? If you got straight A's and what you mean by straight A's is all A minuses, then you've got a GPA that's lower than the average or the median GPA, whatever the average GPA is. Wait, average median GPA. Oh, okay. It's the average of the medians. I see. Yeah. There's 3.86 at the top 20. Yep. So like A minuses don't get it done, y'all. Sorry. A minus is a bad grade according to those top top 20 20 schools. Yep. Yep. You know, and it might be the best you could do. Fantastic. Like great work. But that's not a top 20 law school type of performance. Top 20 law schools, you know, they admit people who are great at school and people who are great at school get A's. Like it's because part of it, part of being great at school is that insistent, like you can't settle for an A minus. You have to learn how to play this game and just decide, no, A minus isn't good enough. I require an A. Yeah. What do I have to do to get an A? Yep. I mean, the median is, or the average median is 3.86. So obviously people aren't perfect, but they're hitting <laughs> well they get more a's than a minuses yeah more often than they're not well, right no yeah. they get more let's be clear to get a 3.86 you that's slightly more than half a's if you get nothing lower than an a minus so yeah. that means like b plus is a terrible grade yeah and b is god awful b minus is like drop out of school if you're going to try to keep a 3.86, you know, one B minus. Oh, my God. <laughs> How many A's do you have to get to outweigh that a lot? To compensate. Yeah. Right. So even a single A minus like, well, OK, get an A and that puts you back at your 3.85, which is still below the 3.86 median. Right. You need to be getting no B's and more A's than A minuses if you want to be in the top 20 like median range. Yeah. Now you can, you can compensate with a higher LSAT score, but it just gets harder and harder. The higher you If go. your school puts a pluses on the, on your transcript, you can also compensate that way because mm. uh, the LSAT does give you, um, 4.3 for an A plus. So if you can talk professors <laughs> into putting an A plus on your, uh, transcript, that's actually a really big deal because an A plus and an A minus do average out to an A. It's really interesting that Schools don't do that. 
So you can't even get an A plus at some schools, right. and which means you just can't compete <laughs> in that level. Yeah. Well, they don't use GPA as the only admission criteria, right? I mean, they might look at somebody with a 3.7 and go, well, okay, but the LSAT is right. You know, then they might look that one step deeper and go, well, did you get A pluses? Oh, you, does your school not even give you A pluses? We don't know what they're going to actually do to analyze it. The point is you need to get the very best grades you can get. Yeah, I want to give these other two numbers. So for all ranked yeah. schools, this is in the middle. The average median GPA is 3.55. So for the top 20, it was 3.86. For basically all schools everywhere else, it's 3.55. And then for the 20 schools with the lowest GPA, so we're looking at the, oh, the, the bottom. bottom, yeah, the bottom 20, at least when it comes to GPA, is 3.18. It looks so narrow, right? Like, wait, 3.86 at the top schools and then 3.55 at all ranked schools? That's so narrow. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's narrow because it's this elite competition for grades. It's yeah. you're, you're only competing with the people who got good grades in undergrad. And, you know, the people yeah. who got bad grades in undergrad are... Well, they're bringing up the rear, you know, they're the reason why the bottom 20 schools have this 3.18 GPA. And you can get into higher ranked schools with lower grades if your LSAT is right. But on average, the grades at the top 20 are like really, really good. They're really good. Yeah. I mean, think about all the people who try to get into the Olympics and don't. They have fucking amazing times oh. for whatever they're competing in. We would never even come close to them, but at the same time, they're not good enough <laughs> for the any top sport. slots. Yeah. A any sport. Yeah. Like if you saw me, if you never played golf before and you saw me play golf, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy's on the PGA tour. The truth is I can't play at a shitty college. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> like I can't, I, I couldn't play at a good high school. Yeah. But if you look at me versus, you know, your dad or whatever, you'd be, it, it's like night and day. I'm way, way better because that that's my sport that I've played for my whole life. But there's levels and levels and levels and levels. And yeah. like, there's like a hundred <laughs> levels that I can't even get to. You know, it's yeah. just not even it's not even possible. Yeah. And that's kind of how that's what we're talking about when we're talking about like this is elite academic competition for coveted law school spots. Yep. And uh, yeah, like I don't mean to tell you that your three point seven is bad. But your 3.7 is bad for the top 20 law schools. It's not going to get you in. It might prevent you from being automatically denied, but it's not. <laughs> so it's just keeping maybe the option open that you're then going to have to get in with your LSAT. It's going to prevent you potentially from being auto admitted. Yes. Right. I mean, it's just like you. It, it's just it's a red flag to these schools. They look at 3.7. If you're fucking Columbia or whatever. And you look at somebody applying with a 3.7. If I'm Columbia, I go, why are you applying to my law school with bad grades? Like, that's bad for my school. And I'll show you I'll show you a stack of people competing against you who have 3.9s. Yep. So your 3.7 might be good where you come from. It might be good for your family, your community, whatever. But it ain't good for these types of schools. Like These types of schools are just we're talking about a different. It's just a different league of competition. Yep. So yeah, the very best LSAT you can, can, can counter, you know, balance it a bit. But if you are, if you're still in school, if you're still getting grades, those grades need to be A's, not A minuses. All right.
All right. Yeah. This email is from Sean. The subject is const, uh, context reinstatement. Hey guys, Pearl versus turd. I won't get into the nitty gritty details of context reinstatement, but my learning and behavior professor told me that when you take a test, it should be in the exact same place that you have studied for the test. <laughs> okay. Except for, you know, that's not going to be possible in many cases. So I'm going to call that a turd right off the bat. I mean, you're not going to be able to do that in your law school exams. You're not going to be able to do that with the bar exam. Probably you can't do that with your driver's training test, not the written one or the driv driving one. So you have to prepare for that, right? Like almost get used to studying in different places so that you don't give so much weight to where you're going. Yeah. Anyway, more around this uh, thought from this learning and behavior professor one should yeah. aim to replicate as closely as possible the actual test conditions during practice. For example, you should be taking the practice test at the same time you are scheduled to take the real exam. The temperature should be the same as when you will take the test. Also, you should be practicing at the same desk you will take the test at. My point is that you should be practicing with the exact same test conditions. Context reinstatement aids in faster recall and strengthens memory. Uh-oh. Well, one major problem with this is that the LSAT is not a test of memory. It has nothing to do with recall. It has nothing to do with memory. At least it's not a test that can be studied for in that way, right? It's something yeah. that you have to practice. Building off of this, it would be great to see a feature where you can take the test in the same user interface format as the actual LSAT through the LSAT Demon website. Let me know what you think. Best, Sean. People ask for this all the time. So we have it in the queue. We're working on something that we can replicate their environment closer, but we can't go all the way because they don't, they don't allow us to. So yeah, we're, we're actually not supposed to um, replicate exactly the environment of the test. Why? I don't know. They don't want our tool to look exactly like theirs. So ours is prettier and way easier to use. Yeah. I mean, this, this idea has been studied a lot. So there's likely some merit to replicating the situation that you're in. The problem I have with this is I'm concerned that there are a ton of factors that affect your performance on anything. And one thing I think we keep talking about on this show is... Hey, if you want to get into law school, the thing you need to focus on is your LSAT score and your GPA, right? And other things, although they do affect your admissions chances, the, the, the role that they play is so small that focusing on them can pull you away from what actually matters. And I think about this in my life all the time. Like if I have some goal, there are things that can help me achieve that goal, but I don't want the de minimis things to get in the way of the things that actually matter, right? And someone who's hyper-focusing on things like, geez, the temperature of your room <laughs> yeah. is putting mental effort into something yep. that, okay, in theory, may move the needle ever so slightly. <laughs> yep. But at what cost? It's the opportunity cost. You're giving up on what really matters, and that's your mindset and your understanding of the test. Those things yep. are going to blow so many other things out of the water that if you sacrifice them for these things, you're actually going to see a drop. 
Well, that's yeah, my I like, theory, at least. <laughs> I like your use of Latin there, Ben, with uh, de, de minimis. De minimis, another way of talking. <laughs> I didn't mean to use Latin. <laughs> that was it's just the la- word that came to mind. Yeah. It's Latin lawyer speak. Um, yeah. Deck chairs on the Titanic is the concrete example of yes. uh, de minimis, yeah. right? You're like, yeah. oh, boy, those deck chairs are out of line. I better get those rearranged, yeah. you know, as the ship is sinking into the North Atlantic. Yeah. I think that's what this is. You know, Sean, I'm sure that your professor is, you know, they're right in their limited context or they're right when all else is equal. But as far as LSAT advice goes, you know, this is going to make it harder for you to take practice tests. And making it harder for you to to take practice tests is not good. Like Like if you have to then, oh, well, if I'm not at the right desk, and if the temperature is not the right temperature, then I can't even prep at all. Oh, you're thinking about it too. You're like, oh, wait a sec. How is this affecting my performance? Is that why I didn't do well? No, you didn't do well because you didn't understand the question. And right. now you need to unpack that as best possible. We all have a limited amount of willpower every day. Put that willpower to the things that are going to move, that are going to be a wrecking ball, not a needle mover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're giving a turd for this one? Yes. I mean... For the people who are like going to Law Hub to do their practice tests because, you know, they're a demon subscriber. We get this all the time. I'm a demon subscriber. I love the demon. The interface is so slick. I wish LSAC interface looked like this. I'm going to go to Law Hub to do my practice tests so that I can do my practice tests in the re- the real, you know, sh- shittier interface. Yeah. Well, you could do that, but it's such a waste of time. Like now you're going to have your results for your practice test over there in Law Hub instead of in the daemon where all of our explanations live. And the explanations are what's going to help you to actually understand these questions. But over on Law Hub, you get none of that. So then you can bring your test results back to the daemon and then get the explanation. I mean, you could do that, but like you're putting all this extra bullshit administrative time into your LSAT prep. And I, it's going to be much faster to just do all your work in the demon and don't worry about it. Yeah. The problem with believing what Sean is talking about here is not that again, Sean, that you're technically wrong, all things being equal. I'm sure this makes a slight difference, but (laughs) the more you believe this or think about it, the more power it has, right? The more (laughs) it is going to affect you. You're going to be sitting here thinking, Oh, my temperature is different. And then that's going to affect your performance. It's almost like the placebo effect. Or yeah, something. maybe you can get that out of your head by just maybe you can believe me when I say that this is not a test of recall or memory. Yeah. And because it's not a test of recall or memory, then this whole thing about context reinstatement just maybe doesn't even apply. But even if it does, just focus on the fact you have to recognize that in a cause and effect world that we live in, some things, some factors have a much greater causal effect than other things. That is, I hope, obvious. And what we're saying is your understanding of the test and your mindset of you can do this wherever it's given to you is going to do way more than these things. Just hopefully that sinks in. Okay, that's a turd. Uh, the scoreboard now is 24 pearls, 70 turds, and 26 ties. Lots of bad advice out there about test taking. <laughs> I overheard, I was in a coffee shop yesterday, and I overheard some tutor guy talking to a parent on the phone. Hmm. 
Okay. And the tutor guy was like, he was, oh, well, I had I've never done that test before, but no problem. I'll just do some, you know, it'll take me some hours. Like this guy was like, the parent will have to pay me these hours to prep for this test that I've never taken before. But then I'll get really good at that test and then I'll come teach your kid how to be good at that test. And I was just thinking, like, thank God this is not if if he had been talking about the LSAT, I would have had to go over there and, like, grab the phone out of his hand and just say, like, no, you do not want to do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't have done that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just be careful where you're getting your advice about these different like, yeah, your professor could be right, but right in a thing that's going to affect one tenth of your perform one tenth of a percent of your performance. And there's other things that might affect 10% of your performance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This next email is from anonymous. It says subject. Do I take the money, money or prestige question mark? Hello. Thank you for all your help throughout my LSAT and admissions journey with the demons help. I raised my LSAT score from a 147 to a 168. Through this process, I told myself money would be the deciding factor, but now I'm second guessing that idea. So far, I've been admitted to Harvard, NYU, Georgetown, U Chicago, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, Penn, Fordham, Seton Hall, Brooklyn, Seton Hall, Cart Seton Hall Brooklyn, Cardozo, Fordham, and Duke. Okay, nice. I've received three full tuition offers. Here's the issue, comma. I would do a colon there. I originally believed I would practice law mainly in the Northeast, but I don't think that's quite true anymore. I will likely pursue public interest for more of my career. I fear if I choose a lesser known school for money, it will affect my job prospects. As a black woman, I also fear that if I don't go to a top school, my credibility will always be questioned. After all, Kentanji Brown? Justice. Who, yeah, that's the new justice, right? Jesus, yep. I haven't kept up on this. Went to Harvard twice and she still went through hell. What do you think? Money or prestige? Well, <laughs> you mentioned a lot of great schools, but the first one on your list is Harvard. Harvard is, you know the great school or on the short list of uh, the like really elite, you know, no one can argue that is truly an elite law school. Yeah. And they also have a fabulous, um, they have, I think, multiple public interest, like loan repayment programs that are separate from the federal government loan repayment. I think that Harvard does a really good job of supporting its public interest uh, students. So I would probably start here by talking to Harvard and say like, Hey, what, like how, how are my finances going to work out? Yep. Cause I want to work in the public interest. I don't see how I do that with $300,000 worth of debt from your school. Yeah. And see if they can walk you through it. Yeah. I mean, they also don't do merit-based aid. They do need-based aid, right? So maybe. So if you are coming from a position of need, they might just make you, an, you know, a killer need-based offer. Maybe you haven't gotten that need-based offer yet from Harvard, but I would yeah. hold out for that before I make any big decisions. Compare your need-based offers, for, your need-based offer from Harvard with the best scholarships you get and then go from there. I think that's what I yeah. would do. Cool. 
The next email here is from Courtney. The subject is LSAT Demon versus Fox Guidebooks. Wow, we already kind of touched on this. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Hope you're both doing well. I'm a Demon subscriber currently at the live level. That's the $295 a month and you get multiple live classes seven days a week, including all of the amazing stuff that the Demon offers for self-study. I also own the Fox Guide test prep books covering exams 62 and 63. Okay, great. That was my second book and my third book. Does it make sense to use the paper books to do these practice tests? No, because the test is digital. Or am I better off just using the online platform? Yes, because all of those explanations that were in those two books, Courtney, are already in the demon anyway, except for they're edited now by our team of editors and they continue to evolve when our students, you know, ask for more clarification about one of the answer choices. It'd be interesting actually to take a print copy of the book and then go through and look at those same explanations and see how many of them have changed. Yeah. Some of them are probably exactly the same, but many of them probably have changed now. It's great that, yeah. I mean, whatever you have the books, but if you need to, like, if you have to go on an airplane or something, that might be a great time to use those books when you don't have internet camping trip. I don't know, something like that. Yep. Uh, I did the other Fox guide a while ago, test 61, I believe, and I found it very helpful. But at this point in my studying, I'm only reviewing the answers I get wrong or those I wasn't 100% sure about when taking the test. I'm usually scoring in the low 170s, although I was humbled this last weekend with practice test scores of 167 and 165. If I'm better off taking the test online, I'll give the books to some other poor soul who's currently studying. I work at a law firm, so there's plenty of us. Thanks in advance. Best Courtney. Yeah, I would just give those books away to your uh, law firm colleagues. Yep. And they still will be helpful. I mean, they're great. They're way better than nothing. I mean, you have video. We have video explanations of all those games, too. And yeah, that's another great example. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the books, I'm trying to go through, you know, step by step written diagrams of like, here's how I build the diagrams. Plus, I used to do the diagrams differently back in those days. I mean, it's just evolved so much over time. Like I see the test so much clearer now uh, than I did then. And all the new explanations are all in the demon. Yeah. All right. Here we have a question from Alex. Okay, Alex is asking about a specific logical reasoning question from test 19. E seems like a much stronger answer, and it's easy to think of a counter to dismiss the answer C. Is it ever the case that two answers could be argued for, but one answer is just, quote, stronger? If so, by what criteria can we determine strong from stronger and not be misled? Uh, Sure. That's going to depend on the question type. Let's say we're talking about a strengthen question on sure. a strengthen question. They, I mean, I think that's when this is going to pop up the most is in a, probably a strengthen question or we can. Yep. Yeah. But even, even more, I think on strengthen. Wait, why is it any different to me? They seem the same. Logically, they're the same. Could be, but I don't think it actually is in practice. I, I'm, I'm not like, it's not like I've done a study of this or anything, Okay, but the times where I have seen credible second best answers where it's like, well, this does strengthen. It just does it in a very shitty way. I think that's more common on strengthen questions than, well, this weekends. Nah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I guess I do see it on weekend questions too, where it'll be like, well, I guess that could be a weakener, but it's really, really weak. Like it's just based on some anecdotal evidence or something like that. Yeah. You know, the question I'm thinking of is that one that has, 
that has to do with meteors or something like that being deposited by a moving um, glacier? Do you remember okay. that question? Mm, vaguely. Uh, well, anyways, the reason it, it always sticks out to me when I think about this kind of question that Alex is asking is that the first, I think, three answers are all weakening. And so it's like, yeah, but then the next one weakens it a little bit more. Okay. And then the next one weakens it a little bit more. Okay. And then finally, you get one that just annihilates it. Right. And it's a great example of, okay, which one weakens it the most? Those had to do with some or most. And this one really just takes it out of contention. So then that's the answer. But some people don't even get to that answer because they pick A or B. They're like, oh, that weakens. Yep. I'm done. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, this clearly weakens and I don't have time to, re you know, I got to just make <laughs> sure I keep, I got to get to the finish the section. So then you pick this, this like, well, okay, that could weaken in a weak way. And then you pick that. And then later there's one that just destroys the argument. Similarly on strengthen questions, if there are multiple, uh, you know, correct answers, well, there's not multiple correct answers. There could be multiple answers that strengthen, but you're asked to pick the one that most strengthens. Yeah. So there's these other answers that like, yeah, yeah, I can see how they might sort of strengthen. But then there's one that's just a sufficient assumption of the argument. It's just like, well, if that's true, then this argument wins for sure. Alex, is that who we're talking to still? Yep. Alex? Yep. If you dig into your explanations, if you dig into our explanations deeper and maybe use the ask button, my hypothesis is that you're going to learn that one of the answers, the answer that you liked is probably fatally flawed in some way and doesn't even strengthen the argument at all. Yeah, that's a very real possibility. It's that, I would bet. I would bet on that. You yeah. know, I'm not going to win every time, but more often than not, I'm going to look at that answer and I'm going to go, well, no, that actually can't strengthen the argument at all because or, of some reason. Or it becomes one of those answers where it both strengthens, right. could strengthen or weaken. It's like, well, that's the other thing. On, yeah, it's right. And so that that could be happening here for sure. Alex is like, consider if you think that this is like if you're interpreting E to be a really good strengthener, what if the other side might interpret it to be a weakener? Like, mm -hmm. are you are you being generous to that answer in such a way that it makes it so that it's on your team? But then you're not realizing that the wording of the answer could actually be used by the other team just as easily. Mm -hmm. For example, mm -hmm. if there's an answer that says, um, you know, uh, planet X is drastically different from planet Y. Mm -hmm. Well, planet X being drastically different than pl from planet Y, that could help certain arguments, but it could also hurt certain arguments depending on the nature of the difference, right? If yeah. it said hotter, then that's more specific and that's going to probably just play for either the strengthening team or the weakening team. But if it says the temperature is drastically different, then you might go, oh, hotter. Yeah, that helps my case. But the other side goes, it doesn't say hotter. It says drastically different temperature, which might mean drastically yeah. colder, which weakens your case. So you might be reading that argument, you know, that answer, you might be reading it uh, generously when the other side is going to read it generously in its favor. Yeah. Another word that does the same kind of thing is effects. People effects. almost always read into the word effects what they want the effect yep. to be. Yep. And it's like, how does it affect it? Does it make right. it? better or worse or increase it or decrease it. You, <laughs> you skipped right over that. Yeah. 
Alex, there is no single criteria that we can use to determine strong from stronger. You need to dig into that specific question. So instead of looking for this like big overarching solution, you got to look for the solution in the details. There's yeah. something that's wrong with that answer that you think is the better strengthener. It's not. There's there's a reason why that answer doesn't work. And it's probably already sitting there in the written explanation or a video explanation. And if not, use the ask button. Yeah. All right. Um, we got two more emails here about which school should I go to? So the first one says, should I attend a lower rank school if I actually if I will actually make money to attend? My goal is to do personal injury and family law in a smaller firm because it's something I am passionate about. I received a full ride and unconditional stipend to Drexel University. I can live with my parents and just uh, sorry and ride the train to school. Oh, that's nice. I will technically make a little money each year to go there since my cost of living is just the train tickets. I know they're lower ranked, ranked 78th and the fourth best in Philadelphia behind Penn, Villanova and Temple. My gut tells me I should just go for it, considering I am OK with working in a small firm or even in a smaller Pennsylvania slash New Jersey city outside of Philadelphia. If it came to it, please let me know your thoughts. Thank you. So the question is. Should I go to a higher rank school where I have to pay money or should I go to Drexel where they're going to pay me? You want to read this next one from James and then we'll do our advice all at once. Sure. Uh, hi, Ben and Nathan. My wife and I live in Philadelphia and for personal reasons, I will be staying in Philadelphia for law school. I do not yet know what kind of law I would like to practice. Given that I'm staying here in Philadelphia, the question I have is straightforward. Poland, do I choose a full tuition scholarship to Temple University or pay in full at UPenn, does you a UPenn law degree warrant paying full tuition if the only other option is a full scholarship at Temple? Love the podcast. Thanks for everything. Huh. What happened to Villanova and uh, Drexel? Yeah. So Anonymous has two other schools in the Philly area. James seems to think there's only Temple and UPenn. I mean, comparing... So Temple and UPenn is going to be... Well, I guess we can look at these 509s, huh? Yeah. Temple has a median LSAT of 163. Penn's going to be way better. Penn has a median LSAT of 172. <laughs> Those are like not even on the same planet law schools. Yeah. You know, the, the well, look, the 25th percentile at Penn is 167, 3.61. Yeah. The 75th percentile at Temple is 165, so two points lower than Penn's 25th. Yeah. And 3.7 GPA, which, you know, that's their 75th percentile is 3.7. That's not even the median at Penn, not even close to the median at Penn. So it's a dramatically different set of colleagues that you're going to be there. The academic competition is going to be dramatically more difficult because you're just competing against people who are way they're better at tests and they're better at school. So the academic competition is going to be harder. You'd have to look into the, the hiring, right? Like what's the job? What do you want to do? You don't, you don't know what kind of law you want to practice. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, this is why we say to apply broadly because you don't have to have such stark choices. I realize this correspondent right. wants to stay in Philadelphia, but I always want to push back on those assumptions and say, okay, is it worth, if someone said, here's $150,000 to move somewhere, 
would it make it possible to get around whatever's keeping you in Philadelphia? I don't know. There's so much money on the line, though. They have a house. They have kids. They have, you know, the kids are in school. They they got family there. They're, I mean, whatever. There's a lot of reasons why people are going to be stuck in a certain ge- geography. Um, it's like you being stuck in Virginia, despite the Virginia income tax. You know, like you just. There's things that you you would there's a, there's significant money available if you would move. But are you going to actually do it? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, all, I'm not saying, yes, you, James, you need to move. I just think that a lot of people preemptively block that yeah. out as an option they without didn't apply looking at the, the dollars. Place. Just right, look yeah. at the dollars and decide totally. if it's worth it. If it is, then fine. Totally makes sense. But Yeah, um, it depends, but our presumption is always going to be take the best full ride offer you can get. You know, apply broadly and then think about it. And, uh, you know, we had... We had somebody earlier in the show, uh, our Harvard correspondent, who, you know, it might make perfect sense for you to go to Harvard because you want to work in public interest and they might really support that or they might give you a need based scholarship package. But if you're not talking about that, if you're not talking about truly elite schools and you are talking about elite amounts of money, like especially for James, you don't know what kind of law you want to do. I can't imagine spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on this super uncertain career path. Yeah. I think you should take the scholarship. And for Anonymous, with all these four different offers, you know, including the stipend at Drexel, look how unfair it is, Ben. I want to point out how, like, if you, you know, if you think law is about justice or whatever bullshit, because the law school thing is completely unfair right off the bat. Yeah. Um, You know, this is somebody who's going to go with a full ride and unconditional stipend to Drexel. So this is a school. Drexel is actually going to pay anonymous living expenses, even though anonymous is going to live at home. So anonymous isn't even going to have living expenses. Anonymous is going to live with their parents and just bank that money. And then who's paying for it? Well, at the bottom of the class at Drexel. The people who squeaked in to Drexel, just like yep. James might squeak in to UPenn. Exactly. That's the exact same thing. So, you know, do you want to be the kid at Drexel who has a 152 LSAT and a 3.3 GPA? That's their 25th percentile. Those people are going to be borrowing $50,000 a year just for tuition to turn around and hand it over to Drexel. What's Drexel doing with the money? Well, Drexel's handing it over <laughs> to Anonymous yeah, to pay their to like for them to just put it in the bank, essentially, like they're going to buy train tickets and then they're going to bank the rest of it and they're going to pay zero tuition. They're just going to go there for free. Yep. And then when they leave, they can take whatever job they want because they don't have a pile of debt that they have to service. <laughs> and it's not going to give you the shoe in straight to big law. But Anonymous says, I want to do personal injury and family law in a smaller firm. Well, if you want to do personal injury and family law in a smaller firm, I see no reason why you should spend money on some big fancy school. Well, you're not going to be stressed, which means you can focus more on school and you're going to be at the top of the class, which means you're more likely to get good grades. So then when you apply to these small firms and say, look, I have a 3.8 or a 3.9 or a 4.0, they're going to be like, "Okay, great. 
And I went to Drexel because I'm passionate about this work and I knew there was no point in me going to Penn or whatever. Yeah. I went to Drexel. I got a stipend. Look, I'm ready to go. I'm in great shape and I'm ready to go. Yeah. uh, As a graduate from Drexel with good grades, you know, instead you go to Penn, you really struggle competing against all those killers over there. You don't learn anything different or better. You've got a bunch of highfalutin colleagues who go straight into big law and you never talk to them again because you're going into personal injury and family law in a small firm. So yeah. you don't even get anything out of the network. You know, what are you getting for your money there? I don't I don't think you're getting anything. Yeah. OK, then enough of us. Yep. Come to our free classes on Wednesday, February 8th uh, at 8 p- oh, sorry, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. We have a pre-test pump up with Lily. OK. Um, we also have Nathan's class the next day. Wow, lots of free classes going on here. This is Thursday, February 9th. Why you don't need an LSAT tutor. You can sign up for that at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. And then apparently my class, I'm just learning about this right now. Monday, February 13th. Oh, wait, no, we talked about this last time. It's the day before uh, Valentine's. Okay, anyways, I'll be doing a free class at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. I don't know what I'll be doing, but I think Since it's Since you really had that calm. extra week of uh, of valentine's day prep i'm sure you've got big plans now for valentine's day oh got huge, it all set up. Man. yeah i got it all figured out don't worry Great. about that yeah good. i'm good i'll tell maria Thanks. she should be excited yeah <laughs> yeah be very very excited get ready for the big yeah, big, yeah. big surprises that are, are you coming ready? on february yeah. 14th <laughs> yeah. thanks nathan sorry if i, if I block you from her phone yeah <laughs> cool lots of free classes where do people go to to get those free classes yeah you can just just go to lsatdemon.com and get a free account if you don't have one already. And if you want to find any of our classes, just go to lsatdemon.com forward slash classes. But if you go to lsatdemon.com, you will easily find them. They're everywhere. Cool. So yeah, be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 388 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.